Good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship. Welcome to sunrise on this beautiful sunny day. Um, why don't you guys go ahead and stand with us as we prepare our hearts to worship and to praise today. I want to read um, some scripture from right out of Psalms. It's, uh, Psalms is a place where we get a ton of worship songs out of. And this morning, um, the first song we're going to sing this morning, Rising Sun, happens to um, some of the words come out of this psalm as well. So hear these words from Psalms. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. So as we worship, let's let our praises rise like the sun rises in the morning. Let's sing to him this morning.
spend a, a few moments in prayer, but I'd like to spend that time expressing our, our thankfulness and gratitude to God of all the blessings that he's been given to us. It may have been just kind of spilling into your minds as we sang those, that song, thanking God of his goodness and his kindness to us. So just think about those things and let's spend some time in prayer just expressing those things to God. like you, who obeyed the Father without complaint. You embrace the chains of humanity when you walk this earth. Convict us whenever we complain or compare ourselves with others. Give us your attitude of humility and thankful acceptance. And God, we want to be like the Apostle Paul who learned contentment in every circumstance. We choose to continually, after you, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips of a give, giver of praise to your name. God, we long to bring a smile to your face. Teach us the power of a thankful heart this morning. We know that your truth dwells in a thankful heart. It's in your good and holy and awesome name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Morning, Sunrise. We are super glad you're here. Uh, whether you are joining us here in person or online, uh, we want to welcome you. And if it's your first time, you will see there's a QR code in front of you in the 
chairs or if you're online, there is a link that will be put up and you guys can click on that or scan it. And we have a connection card that we would love you to fill out and then we will have a gift that we will send you. Um, we are coming to the end of our summer calendar, which I'm less than thrilled about, I know. But I am super grateful that hasn't the summer been nice and much more normal, and we've had a lot of activities that we've been to do, been able to do. So for that, I am super grateful. We do still have a few things coming up. So there is another playground play date, which is this Friday at Millennium Park, and I've heard they have a new ninja course. Has anyone been there yet? Yeah, is it cool? All right, so I know my kids have been asking to go, and we haven't made it yet, so that's a really good time to check out the new Ninja course. And then on August 14th from 2 to 4 p.m. here at Sunrise, we're having a block party. So we're going to have, we had one two years ago, remember that, way back then? <laughs> uh, so we're going to have that again this year. And I want to encourage you, even if you don't have kids and you think it doesn't apply to you, to still come. Uh, if you are older and your kids are gone, I don't know about, I love it when my kids, when I get to interact with a generation that is just slightly older than me, because I get to learn so much from you guys, and there's so much wisdom there, and so I want to encourage you to come, and I guarantee you no child is going to reject it if you want to play part of the baseball game with them. So, um, yeah, if you, for more announcements and stuff, you can also click on the link that they'll put online or the QR code, and now Dan's going to come and... I don't even know what he's preaching on this morning, so we'll all find out. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. You guys are a robust group today. That's great. For those of you who are watching online, thanks for joining us. If you're here for the first time, thank you, Stephanie. Uh, or you've been here for a while, we're glad that you are here. Um, so over the last several weeks, well, I shouldn't say several. It depends on how you count several. We started talking about Acts a few weeks ago. Uh, we have been looking at a church that is regrouping, that is finding its new identity in Christ, how to live well in light of the fact that the person they had been following was crucified, buried, and resurrected, and then said to his followers, okay, it is, the ball's now in your court, go and let the world know who I am, and I'm going to be with you, but you're not going to see me. So the church has to figure out what in the world they're going to do, and all kinds of things begin to happen. You have a church that is unified in some ways, but you also have a church that is being persecuted. You've got this guy named Saul who's going around looking for Jewish people who decided to follow Jesus, and he is literally killing them. This is what happens to Stephen, one of Jesus' followers. Then we move on through the story to last week where we talked about this idea of diversity. Anytime the kingdom of God comes to earth, and injects itself into the lives and ways of the people of God, diversity is something that must follow. I'm going to say that one more time. Whenever the kingdom of God comes and injects itself into the hearts and minds of God's people, diversity must follow. Now, it's very easy for us to assume that when we use a word like diversity today, that we're bringing with it all kinds of luggage about what a political world looks like as it talks about diversity. It's easy for us to think that diversity simply means variance in color, or variance in the way that we talk. But as we looked at the story of Peter last week, we realized that it was very important for him and for the people of God to recognize that God doesn't just love us 
and to make it very personal and right now, he loves more than just the people who are in this room or online. Some of us might think that he loves us more because we're here and that the people who are at home or on vacation, God doesn't see that their hair is combed and their teeth are brushed. And so is their love is high. I'm kidding. But we recognize as we look at the book of Acts that it is God's church who goes through all kinds of things and we get to this space where the church begins to realize that diversity is important. And that brings us to Acts chapter 12 this morning. And in Acts chapter 12, we are again reading a story that Luke tells us about Peter. In this story, we meet a man who is imprisoned, Peter. He is literally chained to a space that he cannot leave, supervised by people who have been charged to make sure that his rights are taken away and that he is protected only so long until he's able to be killed publicly by the king. I want to push the pause button there for a second, and I want to pray for us because my hope is that as we look at this story We'll approach it a little bit differently, and I'll help try to lead us in a way that it is a little bit different than the last few weeks. Here's why. I think that all of us, if we're honest about our lives and we look over things from the past to the present, there are spaces in our lives where we feel as though or felt as though we have been chained down and that the people around us who should be protecting us are instead doing what they can to make sure that we're okay until we just fall apart. And so, God, we come to you now this morning as a people who can both celebrate your goodness in the songs that we just sang. We can also come to these songs, to your words, with hearts that are thirsty to be reminded again that you are good. Because it is easy for us in the times of life where we struggle, where we can't find those who are in our court or where we wonder where you are, we simply need to be reminded again of your presence. So God, I recognize that there are people in this room, people who are watching online, who are in all kinds of different states. We have folks who have just been admitted to the hospital, and they're wondering where you are and what your goodness is. We have folks who are not in the hospital or not going through difficult times in their lives who are wondering how it is they can support others. And God, we have folks who are celebrating the fact that new life is in their home. There's exciting things happening. And so God, I pray that in this time together, you would use your word. You would use the folks in this room through the power of your spirit to remind us of your goodness and of your faithful presence, regardless of where we are in life. In Christ's name, amen. So Acts chapter 12, for those of you who are new to the book of Acts, this is a book that was written by a historian named Luke. Now he's called a historian posthumously. After he died, he was actually a doctor when he was around, but he wrote this book of Acts to someone called Theophilus. That means friend of God. And so many people over the centuries since this book was written have said this book was perhaps written to a specific person named friend of God, but it is for every friend of God. Luke's task in this letter is to help us not just know history, but to also help us see theology, how it is we should appropriately see God in our lives based on how we see him interacting in the lives of the people in this story. And so in Acts chapter 12, we read these words from Luke. 
It was about this time that King Herod, and I'm injecting into this Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great. So if you've, if you've walked along the story of Scripture for a while, you know Herod is kind of a trigger name. This is the king who wanted all of the Jewish babies to be killed that Jesus was saved from. This is, though, a different Herod. This is that previous Herod who killed Jesus. This one is his grandson. So anyway, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. So we have all of these followers of Jesus who have come out of the Jewish, Jewish sect, uh, are still trying to figure out what their identity is in that Jewish sect, uh, trying to come to grips with this idea of how it is they move forward, and Peter is kind of the captain of the team. He's the one who's trying to help everyone stay together and move forward well, and yet in this story we find that James, one of the really important people who stood shoulder to shoulder with Peter, is not only arrested, but he is killed by the state through King Herod, who is himself a Jew. King Herod had been basically hired out by the Romans to make sure that the Jewish people did exactly what it was the Romans wanted them to do. And so all of these Jews who were under the rule of this Herod, king of the Jews, would have wanted this king to protect them. And yet this king does not. This king is a super powerful guy. He's got all kinds of money. He's got all kinds of people following him. This is a picture of a, uh, an arena in Caesarea Philippi that he had built. People would flock there. And on this day that we were there, people were flocked there too for a show of these horses and chariots and other activities happening here in this arena. This is a common place for Herod to show the power and the might of the Roman government and of his own authority. They would have all kinds of races in here. They would actually fill this whole area up to the very top of the stone, up to the very top of where all the people are, with water. They would flood that. And they would bring in small ships, and they would have naval practices here in this arena, which is just bananas. I mean, you can see that's not a concrete floor. That's dirt. <laughs> There's a lot of water that goes in there. This Herod guy had a large following of people, so much so that what he set up was simply dedicated to helping the world see how great he was. And he did it in such a way that he actually got the world's attention. And there are still places where you can go like this, also Caesarea Philippi, where you can see the remainders of what it is that he set up. Right here, this guy actually set up, you can see the rectangle there that goes out into the water, a freshwater pool that goes out into a saltwater area. This guy had technological advances well beyond his time already in reach. I say all of this to say, Herod could really do whatever it is that he wanted. Anybody in the group of people who wanted to follow Jesus found themselves not only trying to protect themselves from this Saul, this Jewish person who wanted to go out and kill people who were following Jesus, but also this King Herod, who was stronger than 
almost anybody could imagine, so much so that they called him a god. Pause button there for a minute. I think there's room here in this story for us to ask ourselves the question, who is that Herod in our lives? What is our relationship with the king? What is it in our lives that we can see in the world around us that just feels overwhelming? Maybe it's physical structures. Maybe it's seeing certain technological advances. Maybe it's looking at your marriage. Maybe it's looking at how your kids are growing up or trying to navigate what life looks like on this side of COVID now that this time of COVID has caused strain on some of your relationships. You begin to wonder, I thought this world that was created for us to enjoy seems to be a world that is just accumulating strength to show off to other people and leading a person like me in the dust. I think this is fair for us to ask because here again at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, this is how we find Peter. Peter is being sought out by the same king who killed James. And after arresting him, Herod put this Peter in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover because, you know, we've got to honor tradition. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now here, this word church is code for those who followed Jesus. So we have this guy who through no fault of his own, is taken captive. He's got four soldiers who are wrapped around him in such a way that he cannot do anything on his own. He's completely imprisoned. Now, this is a moment where we can kind of zoom out for a second and remind ourselves that Luke, in telling us this story, is telling us what historically happened, but he's also communicating a theology. The number four here shows up twice. Now, I'm not one of those numerology guys who just kind of goes bananas, but in the last chapter... We have a story about Peter who, in a dream, has this sheet that comes down being held on four corners by angels, and it's God communicating to him, all of the animals in the world are free for you to eat. So four, not just in that chapter, but in all of Jewish writing, seems to be an indication of the whole world. And so one of the things that Luke is trying to communicate here is that Peter is living a life that for right now, through no fault of his own, is a life that feels like the world is against him. I felt that. How about you? I felt like there have been times when we moved as a kid that Everything was going against me. I already had this set of friends. I thought I knew who God was. And then we moved to a new place and I had no friends. People weren't very kind to me. And it felt like there was nothing I could do to get out of my circumstances. If you fast forward, and I've told some of you this story already, there was a time where in college, in seminary, trying to understand scripture, there was a part of me that felt as though the world was crashing down on me because having kids and going to school and trying to figure out who God is just creates this world where it feels like there's not a way out. You can't figure 
it out. I don't know what your circumstances are, but I think Luke is here trying to help us feel a bit what it is that Peter is feeling. There are stories of uh, German folks who you've heard who have said things about what it was like to be in concentration camps. I just want to read you a little bit here. This helped me kind of imagine what it might be that Peter has felt like and might even be something that helps you find words for how you have felt. This Irene Fogelweiss says, it's an incredibly scary feeling when you're exposed to anyone's raw feelings and enmity, as Peter was with Herod. They habitually roamed around, this is the Nazis, and they did tremendous damage to many individuals, but at least we were still in our community and were not evicted from our home. So that was some comfort. This woman who grew up in a Jewish community and realized that there were even some folks in the Jewish community who were coming after her as well as the Nazis said that she's often asked now how it is she's coped. And this is a question that I think we all are trying to figure out. And I think this passage of scripture helps us see how do we cope. She said, I never went to a psychologist and I never will. I'm not suggesting that's the next step for us. Quite simply, I kept it at a distance. I saw and understood and yet I didn't. I never let it penetrate that my parents were killed, and I even thought, after this, we're going home and everyone will be there again. Those who never managed to keep it distant killed themselves. I can't imagine but think that these are the kinds of things that Peter is thinking as he is chained to soldiers. I can't imagine that these are not the kinds of things that you haven't thought as you have felt locked in somewhere. How do I engage with these feelings where we sing songs about God being good and being with me, and yet right now I feel abandoned and left for dead? The story continues in the book of Acts in a way that makes sense, but also just doesn't. (laughs) If we zoom out again at the book of Acts, and even through the story of Scripture, we realize that this story that Peter Uh, is living, that Luke is telling us about, is not just a story about Peter, it's not just a story that we can relate to now, but it's a story that has repeated itself all throughout history, and I think Peter knew this history quite well. And I think this becomes for us one of the steps we can take forward as we ask the questions, how do we cope with the areas in our life where we feel like we don't know where God is or what he's doing? This is what Luke says. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Okay. We go up to a cabin sometimes. Sometimes we go camping. You guys go camping at all? Yep. Okay. You guys have a favorite? Raise your hand if you have a favorite pillow. Four of you do. Okay. Stuffed animal. Okay. There we go. All right. Uh, Favorite sleeping position? Say it out loud. What is it? Side. You guys are a solid group of people. I'm with you. When you go somewhere new, do you have a hard time sleeping sometimes? Yes, we all do. Why in the world does Luke say here that Peter slept? Because it's an unusual thing to be able to sleep peacefully in a place that's not comfortable. How in the world can Peter somehow have a confidence as he is waiting to be killed, that leads him to a place of peace so that he can sleep while chained to two soldiers. I want to submit to you that if Peter could do that, 
as he was facing his imminent death, perhaps there's a way for us to find the same kind of peace as we are waiting to be freed from whatever it is that we feel we're being held down by. But it's not going to look the way that we might think that it would. Here's how Luke continues. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. There's no way this guy is going to get out. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. God is showing up. Yes, God is showing up in this story where Peter, who cannot free himself, is sleeping somehow in a place of peace because he knows the story of God. He knows that Jesus has come to this earth, though he was killed and abandoned, was resurrected, and is in heaven right now interceding for us in ways that we cannot imagine. And if we can just raise our eyes up enough and we can see beyond our circumstances, we can see like Peter does here, that God is with him and shows up. So suddenly this angel of the Lord appears and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side. I don't know how he did it. Maybe it was a kick. Maybe it was a, a gentle shake. I don't know. But he strikes Peter on the side, wakes him up, and he says, quick, get up. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. If you're like me, you're making a decision now on this point of the story, whether to believe what Luke is saying is true or whether it's not true. I want to submit to you that if we are a group of people who will choose to believe that Jesus came to this earth, died, was buried, and was resurrected, it doesn't take not even that much faith to believe that these chains could have been removed from Peter by the very God who raised Jesus from the dead. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and so Peter did it. Good idea. Wrap your cloak around you, follow me, and the angel told him, that's what the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Then Peter later came to himself and he said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. I have been freed from what it is the whole world had been coming after me to try to cause, which is my death, and along the way for me to lose my confidence in who Jesus is. How is it that you expect Jesus to show up in your life? In the, the times, the moments, the weeks, the sleepless nights, how is it that you expect Jesus to show up? Do you expect him to show up with a key that will go into the chain and remove them? Do you expect him to show up in the form of a friend? Do you expect him to come in the form of encouragement? Do you expect him to come in the form of a vision? I grew up Baptist, and so none of those things were possibilities. <laughs> I want to suggest to you, going back to what this Jewish woman said about her circumstances and how she could get through them, was she had to see the world that she was in differently. I think this is what Peter had to do in order for him to be able to fall asleep in a place where no one should be able to fall asleep. 
I think what Luke is trying to help us see is that we cannot expect that the escapes in our lives from the things that are trying to kill us can only come through the power of humans. But that maybe we need God to intercede on our behalf. Now there's great tension in this because at the very beginning of this chapter we have James who's not set free. He's killed by Herod and so that prompts all kinds of questions about, hey God, why James died and why did Peter live and why this and why that? All kinds of those questions come to the forefront for all of this and I can offer you no clear answers as to why those things happen except to tell you what feels very trite which is God is still in control and I can't fathom the depths of the chaos and the depths of God's love that are both present in this world at the same time. But in the midst of a world where we have people who are dying like James, people who are imprisoned like Peter, we ourselves find our own hearts, our own minds, wondering if the songs we just sang are true, that God is good. We wonder if the power of God is still present in a way that it can free us from the things that entangle us. But when these kinds of things happen, I want to submit to you, you carry with you a story that is worth sharing to the people around you. There are college campuses where people flock into a large room to hear a survivor, survival of concentration camps share what their story was like, to hear questions about how did you make it through in order to leave those spaces feeling as though they can carry with them something that gives them a levity to walk through their own stories differently. These Jewish folks who have yet to pass away from a long life that God has given them want their stories to be shared so that it brings hope to the people who are wondering if there's a way out. And I think Luke tells us this story, too, to help us remember that there's hope for a way out. When these kinds of things happen, when you have a story you can look back on like I can. I told you about moving to a new place and not really having that many friends, but this person came into my life who every week at youth group would simply sit across from me in a chair and we would just talk about life. And he didn't know it at the time, but there were spaces in my life where I felt closed in, but his presence being in that chair across from me every week was an expression of God's presence in my life to communicate to me there is hope. I say that to say this. If you've accumulated those stories in your life, tell them. If you can stand here and sing with your hands raised that God has always been good to you and you can look in the rearview mirror and you can see the walls that he has kicked down, the mountains he has scaled, the darkness that he has lit up to find you, don't keep that story a secret. Luke tells this story so that we would tell our own stories and again regain our confidence in the goodness of God. If this person who sat across from me on youth group nights was not willing to share part of his story with me, I'm convinced I would not have been convinced of the goodness of God. It causes commotion when you hear about the way God frees people, and this is not 
surprising to us. This is the kind of thing that Luke tells us. In the morning, there was no small commotion about the soldiers, among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. They realized that he was gone. And after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Whenever there is freedom founded in Christ, caused by the power of God, there will be people who come after you. There will be people who come after you. So on the appointed day, this is down the future, we still have a little bit of a story here remaining in this chapter of Acts chapter 12. What happens to this Herod, this wickedness that is pursuing God's people? Will it continue to run its course in such a way that people are lucky if they escape his grip? No. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Maybe he was in Caesarea Philippi, there by the water, legs crossed, feeling really good. Everybody around him thinks he's the man. They start to shout the kinds of things that they would about this guy who was so king, who was such a strong king. This is the voice of a god, not of a man. This Herod is the one who can make life right again. We don't need the stories of Peter. We don't need the stories of God showing up. We need Herod. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, and this is just bananas to me, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. If anybody tells you the Bible is boring, they are wrong. Luke is doing two things in this story, don't forget. Number one, he's telling us about the things that actually happened. Luke has been called by current historians all throughout the centuries one of the greatest historians that we have. But he's also communicating a theology. And this last statement that I'm going to show you is what I think we all have to carry in mind. We cannot put our hope in the word of a king. We cannot put our hope in the confidence of a social structure or of a church structure that says, we're going to kill people, but we're going to make sure we don't do it on Passover. We can't even put confidence in our own selves. Peter couldn't do that. We must put our confidence in God. And Luke says that here at the end of this chapter. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. I don't know where you are in your life. If you're saying right now in your mind that there's a shadow that God needs to light up, that there's a, you need to be found and you're waiting for God to find you. But I do know this. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, no height, no depth, no great experience in life, no failure in life, not even King Herod. Whatever it is that you are facing, you are following a God whose word, whose son of Jesus Christ, whose movement in the world is still moving forward. And so if you find yourself to be Peter, let that be the world that you see. If you are like Peter, before you have been released, 
Don't be afraid to ask the people around you to tell you a story about God's goodness. If you are like Peter after you have been released, don't forget your story. People who have survived the Holocaust want to tell their stories because they will say unitedly in different ways, if we don't share the story, it'll happen again. If you do not share your stories of God showing up in whatever way it is that he has, then the darkness of a cold cell that holds us in where we feel like there's no way out can feel like that's the end. But if we just show up, if you would just take the time before you leave today to give somebody a hug and remind them of God's goodness, if you'll write a note, maybe in that person's life, you will be such an expression of God's goodness that they can experience a freedom not because of you, but through you. God, we're here this morning as people who love you. I mean, we just, we just sang songs about this. We, we see a story of people in this chapter that remind us a bit of ourselves at times. People who are screaming out that there's a certain someone or something besides you that's going to be the greatest thing that's uh, ever offered a way forward. For those of us who have done that, God, we ask for forgiveness that we've called someone else, something else, a God. We ask that you would help us to see again that it is not Herod, it is not this world that will be consumed that brings freedom, but it is instead you the power and the presence of your beings. And so God, we pray that we would be those people, that we would be a transforming presence in the world around us so that people would know you. God, we know that you are a God who sent a son to set the prisoners free, to heal the sick, to bring justice, to show mercy. So God, tune our hearts, our minds, guide our lives in such a way that that's what we live for. We pray these things believing that they are in your son's name. Amen. At the end of every service, we get to stand and sing a song. (laughs) Ways for us to respond to what it is that God has been doing in you through the time that you've been here. Maybe it was a response that was triggered by some of the songs we sang at the beginning or the really, really good-looking person who came up here and did announcements. (laughs) Maybe it was through a sermon. Maybe it's going to happen later after we sing this song and you put money in the bucket back there or you talk to someone. But even before God shows up. There are opportunities for us to celebrate who he is as a way to remind us even when it's hard to believe that he is good. For some of you, that's going to be the case as you sing this song and maybe the way you interact with this song is to say seated and to not sing and if that's the case, that's okay. Some of you are going to resonate with the song that we sing in such a way, it's like I got to stand up and I got to sing. If you want to do that, you do that. If you grew up Baptist, don't even look at everybody else in the room. We want to close every service giving us an opportunity to respond to what God is doing so that we would be changed in such a way that we can live these things out in the world around us. So join us as we do that.
You guys been watching the Olympics? Yeah. 1,800 meters for Ledecky. 1,500. I don't know if you guys are watching it or not, but take the time to go watch that final race. Here's why. We don't serve a God who's jumped into the 15 meters of our life to go fast at the beginning and then to drop out at the end of the race at the end. We serve a God who is with us through all of it and is steady and strong throughout the whole race. You watch Ledecky swim, she's steady the whole way. People fall back. The things in this life will at some point be eaten up by worms. (laughs) They're going to fall down and collapse in the midst of the race. But if we can sign ourselves up to follow Jesus, he will be with us through it all. So God, we pray that you would give us the confidence to do that in the moments and the areas of our life where it's so hard for us to believe that you're the one who's going to set us free. God, as we go, would you remind us that we will not be shaken if we follow you. The worst things that can happen to us in this life can only happen for the rest of this life. And that at some point we will experience a kingdom with you that has no end, where there are no chains, where there is no presence of tears, where there is equality, where there is justice, and finally a full presence with you that will never go away. Give us this confidence as we go into this week in Christ's name. Amen. Sunrise, we love you. Have a great week. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. See you guys.